how can you make someone love God more? How can you expect them to love God more when you're told all the time, hey, we all need to love God more. We need to do better at this loving God thing. And then even as a pastor, I ask the question, how can I be hopeful as a pastor that you are indeed hearing and responding to the call to love God more? Because we're saying we want to love God more, love God more, love God more. And have we ever pumped the brakes and said, wait a minute, how am I supposed to love God more? What does that even look like? As we've been in this series talking about resetting different things in our lives, making sure that we're resetting the right things, today we want to talk about resetting our devotion. So if you would go with me to Romans chapter 12, very famous passage of scripture here at Word of Grace that we use quite often. Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says this in verse 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here we see that Paul in this opening section is beginning to plead with people, beg them. He uses the word beseech. Uh, I appeal. I'm, I'm begging you. I'm basically just asking you with everything that I've got within me for you to, uh, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's wanting them to so much see the value in who God is and what God has done that they would just be compelled to respond in such a way that their bodies would be offered as living sacrifices without question, without any reservation. He's basically saying, God's worth it, like, and I want you to love God more, and I want you to love him more than anything. I want you to love him more than anything in this world. I want you to love him more than, than, than the pleasures of this world that are fleeting and that are here for a moment and that are gone tomorrow. He's saying, I want you to love God more than those things, and I want your mind to be transformed. And he's wanting all of these things for the people that he's writing this to, just like any good minister, any good shepherd, any good teacher, any good pastor would want for those that they're ministering to. But how do we get to that place where we respond to God in such a way that we are growing in loving him more and that we are fully devoted followers of Jesus? Paul here is just pleading with the Romans to love God with a sincere intensity. And he says that in response to the mercy of God, that's what should be the motivating factor here for you to love God more because the heart of your devotion to God is really what matters most. It's what's driving my devotion. Is, is it just the fact that I'm supposed to? I mean, I need to love God more because, well, the pastor said so and I'm supposed to, or the Bible says so and I'm supposed to. And if the answer to the question of how to love God more is that I'm supposed to, then I'm never going to get there. I'm always going to have questions and I'm always going to wonder. There's always going to be this big gap, this big chasm between the idea of loving God and actually really loving God and being devoted to him. So the heart of your devotion to God 
is what matters most. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 4 and look at this idea of devotion and sacrifice. This is the story of two brothers, Cain and Abel, and sacrifices that they brought to God. Let's look at Genesis chapter 4, and let's look at the first seven verses. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a, now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now, as we know this story of Cain and Abel, because of Cain's overwhelming jealousy for the favor that God had shown upon his brother Abel, he ended up killing him. It was the first murder ever recorded in human history. It was actually by two brothers, and it was over this idea of God accepting one's offering and rejecting the other. Now, people have been speculating for centuries, and we're not going to come to any clear conclusions here of exactly why, perhaps, God accepted Abel's and rejected Cain's offering. There's a lot of speculative things here that we could look at, but there's one thing that I think is pretty crystal clear. The heart of Cain and the heart of Abel were very much in two different places here. I think that as we can read this, we can see by the way that Cain reacted, the simple way that once he was chastised by God and he rejected uh, Cain's offering, we can see that Cain's heart was in a different place than Abel's heart. And God is looking at the heart of the worshiper. He is looking for that heart of obedience, that heart of trust, that heart that is sincere. God is looking for that, and he's been looking for that since the beginning. As a matter of fact, Jesus said something very similar to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. If you want to flip over there real quick, John chapter 4, let's look at verse 23. And verse 24, John chapter 4, verse 23 and verse 24. Jesus is interacting with this woman at the well, and here's what he says. The hour is coming, and now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit, and in truth. We see that Jesus is reiterating this same idea of the type of worshipers that the Father is looking for, someone who is truly devoted to him in spirit and in truth, authenticity, sincerity, obedience. And these things are, are driving their worship, driving their attitude, driving their behaviors. And it's the same thing that Paul was communicating to us in Romans chapter 12. I'm beseeching you in light of what God has done, in light of who he is, are you not stirred? Are you not compelled to be able to offer your body as a living 
sacrifice, holy, acceptable. This is your reasonable act of worship. It's your spiritual worship. It's holy. You see, holiness comes out of this. Holiness is derived out of a heart that is that is completely in awe of who he is, someone who is devoted to him, someone who is seeking to know him more, someone who has a heart and a desire set on knowing the creator of the universe because God isn't looking for someone who can simply discipline their flesh into submission to read or recite different words. God is not impressed where we park our car once a week for an hour. God is not impressed that we can uh, accomplish uh, finishing our 30-day devotional. All those things are good. God's not impressed with them, though, and we need to remember that because this isn't being truly devoted to God just because I'm able to discipline my flesh in a way that I can accomplish these things. Although, man, there's such a fine line there because there's a lot of truth and a lot of good things that come from disciplining uh, yourself to be able to do things, especially when you don't feel like it, especially when you're struggling, especially when you'd rather sleep in or you'd rather watch TV or be on your phone instead of spending that time with the Father or being devoted to Him. I, I understand that, but, but we can so easily drift over into this idea of going, well, I did my devotion for the day. I did my prayer time for today. I did my Bible reading time and my time with Jesus, listened to a little bit of praise music, and we just kind of move on, and we're not really pursuing him. We're not really seeking to know him more, but those things can be so good, and and, and I get that, but it's the heart of the issue. It's the heart that God is looking at. It's the heart that he delights in. It's the fact that Abel was willing to bring the firstborn, the very best, the the one that was perfect without any blemish. And he said, God, I'm giving you my very best. I'm giving you my first. And then God rejected Cain's offering because it probably wasn't the best or it wasn't first or his heart was somehow wrong in the deal. Whatever the case may be, the woman at the well, when she interacted with Jesus, Jesus said, listen, lady, It's not about what mountain you worship on. It's not going to be about uh, who you were, who your grandparents are, or what lineage you come from. He said it's actually going to be about God looking for people who are sincere and who are passionate about pursuing Him and knowing Him. And He is seeking people like that. He's looking for people. He said even now, even now He's looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth, because it really is the heart of your devotion that's going to matter more to God than anything else, because God is after your heart, every single part, every single part of your heart. Uh, I think that this is something that we grow in. This is something that as we get to know God more, we realize that there are places in our lives that have not been fully submitted to him that have not trusted in him, that have not valued him, that have not enjoyed him and delighted in him. And when those things are exposed to us, it should cause in the life of a Christian 
repentance and a godly sorrow that should lead us to a place of repentance, a place of vulnerability with God where we're like, here I am, Lord, seek me, know me, find me, everything in me, purify me, make me more and more like who you want me to be, that my life would be a testimony to the world of your goodness, that my life would be a song to you, that it would truly be something that brings you glory and honor and not just simply something that I've gotten really good at going through the motions and checking the boxes. I mean, God is not interested in some heartless, lifeless, uh, rhythmic, uh, disciplined order of checking things off in our lives that there's no heart attached to it. There's There's no sincerity attached to it. He's looking for people who are passionately devoted, people who are hungering and thirsting after him to know him more, to know his ways, to think on him and to know him to where he's searching every part of our heart, every single part. As I was studying and preparing for this message, I came across uh, something in Colossians chapter 1 that I I want us to look at together. Let's go over to Colossians chapter 1. This is a really powerful portion of scripture. And as I was reading it, the more I read it, it actually began to stir something in me, like it was feeding my spirit. It was just like making something come alive on the inside of me. And I hope that as we read it, that it will do the same for you. Colossians chapter one, let's read this verse nine. I want to start there because that's really when the apostle Paul starts getting into the guts of this thing. I want us to read Colossians one, nine through 23. So here we go, buckle up. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and check this out, here's the next part, and increasing in the knowledge of of God. Stop right there for a second. Paul's prayer here in the opening portion of the letter to the church in Colossae, he's saying, I want you to be able to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. I want you just to be so full of knowing what pleases and honors God with your everyday life that you will be able to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, that you will be bearing fruit with your life because of the way that you're walking and that you'll be increasing, ever increasing in your knowledge of God. That's the heart that God is looking for. That's a person who's devoted to him, that is, that, that is praying that, that is desiring that, that has just been overwhelmed by the mercy of God, that in light of the mercy of God, I want to present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. That's that person. And Paul is praying that the Colossians would be such people who would be filled with that type of hunger, that their knowledge of God would continue to increase. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, Stable, steadfast, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Man, when I read that, even when I'm reading it out loud here with you, I am just overwhelmed and stirred up thinking about the weight of the gospel and thinking about what Christ has done and thinking about the type of way that I want to be stirred to, to know him more, to be devoted to him, to be able to just give him everything to present my body as a living sacrifice, not holding anything back. Because there's so many things that we hold back in our lives from God for selfish reasons that we don't want to submit to him because, quite frankly, if we're honest, we love those things oftentimes and we love them more than we love God. I know that that may not make you feel good, um, but it's true. We all have things in our lives that we may love more than God. And because we've put those things in that seat, they've become idols. And those idols have taken the place of our affections and our love and our devotion to God. That's why we can be very devoted to sports teams and we can be very devoted to our jobs and, we, and our careers and our education. We can be very devoted to physical fitness. We can be very devoted to our finances and our retirement and our plans. We can be very devoted to our family. We can be very devoted to our friends and somehow God is sitting in the back seat saying, hey, I'm here, and we miss out on truly being devoted to God because we treat him as if he's somehow sitting in the back seat. We want God along for the ride, but we really are pursuing other things because the way our life actually plays out, we're much more devoted to other people and other things and other situations than we are to him because they have our sincere and deepest affections, and we give those things our time. We give those things our thoughts. We give those things our energy, our emotions. We give those things our finances. We give those things our lives. But I read the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, and I read where Paul is saying, I'm trying to say there's nothing better. I'm beseeching you, brothers. I'm appealing to you. I'm begging you. 
in light of the mercies of God to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your worship. This is the type of worship and devotion that he is looking for. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind so you can begin to prove what the perfect and acceptable will of God is. Begin to think differently now because you're seeking to know him more because you're devoted. So back to the original question that I answered when we began our time together here today. How can you make someone love God more? The more the truly regenerate heart understands about the nature and works of God, especially revealed in the person and cross work of Jesus Christ, the more their heart will be inflamed with a love for God. Let me say that again. I don't want you to miss this. The more the truly regenerate heart understands about the nature and works of God, especially revealed in the person and cross work of Jesus Christ, the more their heart will be inflamed with a love for God. It is truly about us understanding and knowing him more. A passion to know God more is founded in a basic understanding of my greatest need and Jesus Christ being the answer to that need. It's founded in that. You want to be passionate for the Lord? Man, um, you need to see your need. You need to have your eyes open to your need. Your need being Jesus and him being all sufficient in himself, lacking nothing. That when you are able to be in Christ and made alive and made new, that there is nothing more in this world that could even compare. That there's nothing more that even scratches the surface of being comparable to who he is. And that you are so overwhelmed that how could I not be devoted? Heart, mind, soul, body. How could I not just give him everything? How could I not be completely devoted to present my body as a living sacrifice? How could my what else would my response be <clears throat> once I have had my heart stirred in such a way? But often we don't understand need. It would be the equivalent of me walking up to Bill Gates if I were ever so fortunate to get to meet someone as wealthy as Bill Gates and bring him a ham sandwich and say, here you go, Bill. <clears throat> Bill may or may not appreciate the sandwich, but ultimately he doesn't need the sandwich. So because he doesn't need the sandwich, he would probably just look at me funny and I would probably be tackled by security guards um, if I were... <laughs> Even able to come up to him, he probably thinks I would try to be poisoning him or something like that. Uh, but he doesn't need the ham sandwich. But what if I were to take that same ham sandwich to a person in a third world country and I handed it to them and they were starving? They would kiss my hand. They would hug me. They would thank me. They would even shed tears over the fact that they have been given food that they so desperately needed. The response of someone who understands their need 
is gratitude, thankfulness, gratefulness. Oh, what can I do for you? Uh, uh, here, whatever I have, it's, it's not much, but, but, but it's yours because you have given me what I needed. It's do we see our need for Christ? That's why it's difficult for us often in our country to be able to see need because a lot of us, we don't really understand need. We think we need a new car. We think we need a new house. We think we need new clothes. And we say need all the time as if we really understand need. There was a person Jesus interacted with that was similar to where we're at in our culture, in our day and age, in Luke chapter 18. I want to go over there quickly. Luke 18 and verse 18 says this, And a ruler asked him, asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Wow, that sounds kind of mean. Jesus saw this guy was sad, <laughs> and he says, how difficult is it for rich people to enter in the kingdom of God? Wow, Jesus, like kick a guy while he's down. That's what it sounds like, kind of. But Jesus is exposing the heart. That's what he's after. That's what he's looking for. He's saying, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And he's not saying it's difficult to enter the kingdom of God if you're wealthy just because of money alone. No, what is he speaking to? He's saying it's difficult for people who don't understand need. It's difficult for people who don't understand that you are hopeless, you are, you are lost, you are blind, you are poor. All of your riches in the world amount to nothing in the eyes of God. He's not impressed with the wealth you've amounted. He, he's not impressed with what you've accumulated. He's not impressed with your status in the company. He's not impressed with how popular you are. He's not impressed with how many followers you have on Facebook. What is he looking at? He's looking at the heart. He says, it's difficult when people don't understand their need. Verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter in the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? They're like, you know, this guy followed the commandments. This was a good dude. He, just because he wouldn't go sell everything that he had and give it to the poor, what are you saying? Jesus said this, verse 27, what is impossible with man is possible with God. He's saying, so it's, it's possible. And Peter said, see, look, here's Peter. He goes, see, Lord, we have left our homes and we have followed you. He's saying, look, we've left our stuff. And he said to them, truly I say to you, oh man, Peter, you done messed up. Here you go. Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God 
who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. He's saying, Peter, it's, listen, it's, it, I'm worth it. It's not about the fact that you left your home. Listen, if anyone sees who I am and how valuable I am, there's nothing greater than me that I, I, I am truly what you need. And he's saying, everyone who sees this, they're going to leave because, man, there's nothing greater than Jesus. There's nothing greater than having than Christ. He's saying nothing is more important. And he's trying to help Peter to understand that. He's trying to help those who are listening as they saw this interaction with this rich young ruler. He's trying to say, we've got to understand need. You're going to leave whatever that you were trusting in before. You're going to value Christ more than anything else than you can experience or have or do in this life because Jesus truly is worth it. A healthy church is passionately devoted to knowing God. And one of the best ways to know God that he's given us is the tool of Scripture. He's given us his holy word. He's given us these holy, God-breathed, God-inspired, infallible words that he has spoken and he has inspired hearts of people to be able to write these things that we can trust are the very words of God that help us to see who he is and help us to see his heart for his people. Resetting devotion begins and ends with a passion to know God more. That's our bottom line for today. Resetting devotion begins and ends with a passion to know God more. That's where it starts. And you're never going to stop. Like, it's not like you're going you're gonna to all of a sudden go, I know God plenty. Nope. That's not how this thing works. It begins and ends with a passion to know God more. That's how we reset our devotion. And so here's what I'm doing today, church. I'm trying to plead with you like the Apostle Paul did to the church in Rome. In light of his mercy, in light of who he is, devote yourselves to seek to know God more through his word. I want us to continue to be a healthy church, and I believe we've grown a lot. I believe that we've grown a lot in understanding the Bible and being able to actually read it and grow. But I don't want us to become weary in well-doing or to become lazy in these things or to all of a sudden think that I'm doing, I'm doing enough. No, no, no. It's not about doing enough and doing more. It's about your heart. I want to see our church have a heart that is just set on fire for knowing God more. And the best way I know to reset our devotion as we're hitting that reset button, as we're starting over in some areas, as we're wanting to strengthen and shore up areas in our lives that need to have that reset button hit, let's reset our devotion to him by seeking to know him more through his word. Devote yourselves to seek to know God more through his word and find delight in that devotion. Find delight in the sacrifice to where you can confidently say, not because you know you're supposed to, not because it's 
something that sounds spiritual, but because you actually believe it, where you can actually say it's a reasonable act of worship to present my body as a living sacrifice. It's a reasonable exchange for me to want to serve and to know and to sacrifice and to submit and to trust him more and more. I want to love him more today than I did yesterday. I want to love him more tomorrow than I did today. I want to know him more and love him more. To know him more is to love him more. To know him more and to seek him more is to love him more. I want our affections to be stirred. I want our devotion to be set on knowing the God of the Bible, of knowing our creator, of having a passion stirred up for him more than anything else in this world. Because this world wants our affections to be pulled away from God. There's a spirit of antichrist that's very, very much at work and alive that's trying to pull the people of God away from having their affections and their devotion set on knowing him more. Because these things, they, they offer temporary pleasure. They offer these distractions along the way that may seem good, may seem glamorous, may seem like they're pleasurable and enjoyable, but there's no fruit there. There's no life in those things. They're just distractions. All that matters is knowing him and loving him. And I want us to be a church full of people who are devoted to knowing him more. So here's one of the things that I wanted to ask you to do with me this week. As we are continuing to grow and have our affections and our hope and um, having our, our, our hearts stirred in a way to know him more, I want us to be devoted to him and stir our devotion by reading his word. So here's what I'd like for us to read together this week. I'd like for us to read Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 23 that I read earlier because that just, man, that fires me up, that stirs me up. Maybe read, read these every day. Let this word get in you. Maybe you read it multiple times a day. Maybe it's the first thing you read in the morning. Maybe you read it at lunch and you read it right before you go to bed. I don't know. Just get in some, some sort of rhythm of reading it to where every time it just becomes more alive to you. And, and I want you to keep this in front of you. Don't just read it and then check it off and go, I did the thing pastor asked me to do. Then if you're doing that, you're missing the point. And you need to rewind this sermon and go back and listen to it from the very beginning. Read Colossians 1, 9 through 23. Also, I love the way Paul talks about the substitutionary work of Christ in Romans chapter 5, 1 through 21. Read that. Let that stir in you a gratefulness and a thankfulness for what Christ has done. May it help open your eyes to just see your need. Oh yeah, that's right, I still see my need. And may that need just stir in you worship, stir in you devotion. And then also Ephesians chapter 1 and then go all the way through chapter 2 um, and the end of chapter 2 there in verse 21. Another uh, letter to the church there in Ephesus by the Apostle Paul writing about just the grace of God and how we are saved um, by uh, his wonderful, beautiful grace. 
And uh, may it just stir in you as you read Paul's Ephesians prayers as he begins to pray that they would have their eyes opened, that they would just be able to see. And I pray those prayers for our church family as well. And my hope is that through us reading these scriptures this next week, our devotion is going to be stirred like never before. And maybe for some of you, your devotion hasn't been stirred because none of this may even make sense to you because you're not a Christ follower. These things just sound boring to you or sound like something you would not want to do. Uh, Can I tell you today that Jesus loves you right where you're at? Can I tell you that he is worth it? I'm not just some crazy preacher up here trying to get people to read their Bible more just so we can say we're reading our Bible more, that he really does love you and he really is worth it. And my hope and my prayer for you today, if you haven't been stirred, if you haven't come to that place of awakening yet, that perhaps today would be the day that your eyes would be opened, that you would see your need for a Savior, and that Jesus would become more real to you in this moment, whether you're watching this on your phone or you're watching it on your TV at home or on a laptop or wherever you may be, that Jesus would become real to you in this moment, that you would surrender your life to him, that you would put your faith and trust in him and you would just acknowledge, Jesus, I see I need you. I see that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. I see that I'm a wretch. I see that I am hopeless, Lord, apart from you. And I want to be right in the eyes of God. I want to be reconnected to my creator. And I know that, Jesus, I can't do that on my own because I'm sinful. I've I've rebelled against your ways, so I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. Fill me with your spirit. Make me new. If that's you today, I hope that today is the day that you have put your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ and that you would be adopted as a son or a daughter of Jesus, that you would be a part of the family of God, that you would be um, a new creation, that old things passed away and all things have become new. And if today you already are a follower of Jesus, I want to see our relationship with him grow more and more because we're not playing games. The, the time is uh, rapidly approaching for the return of Christ and we need to be people who are being found faithful, people who are pursuing God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and who are loving our neighbors as well and who are showing this world the love and truth of Jesus, that we might make an impact in eternity with everything that we do. Lord, help us do this. Help us by your spirit and by your word today to be stirred, to be deeply devoted, to be fully devoted followers of Jesus in every single area. In the areas of our lives, Lord, where we have tendencies to be selfish, in the areas of our lives, Lord, where we are prone to think of only ourselves and where we want to hang on to things from our past. Lord, let us submit those things to you. Let us repent. Let us continually move forward by trusting in you, by putting our hope and our faith in you, and by delighting in you, and by being devoted to you. In Jesus' name, amen.